Oh, well. Ike Taylor is no longer working for the NFL Network because he sent inappropriate pictures of himself to a stylist who was also working for the network. And Ike sent her a video of himself masturbating. Sooner or later, stupidity is going to show up. And in this case, it was stroking its own genitals. Ike Taylor was so lucky. He's this semi-literate buffoon who signs his autograph in block letters. He had a mediocre NFL career with the Steelers, but he somehow got a TV job because he's campy and funny. Ike's lawn shot came in for a post-football career, and then he blew it by sending out a masturbation video. That puts the duh in dumb. And never mind losing your job. Do women actually get turned on when you send them a masturbation video out of the blue? It sure didn't work this time. This is the Mark Madden Show. There's a report Ike Taylor may be the next Pitt basketball coach because all they're doing at Pitt is jerking it anyway. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. Or you can follow me on Twitter at MarkMaddenX. The big news today and the best news is that Edzo is cancer-free. He beat cancer. Eddie Olchek. That is wonderful, yes. And not least because Edzo should be well enough to join us and provide Kentucky Derby picks come early May. I need to win big. And cancer isn't going to stop me, and it didn't stop Edzo. So, way to go, Edzo. Could not be happier about that news. The Penguins host New Jersey tonight. The Penguins are no wins and two losses against New Jersey this year. The Devils got a lot of speed. Although Michael Grabner only has two goals in 12 games since the Devils got him from the New York Rangers, but speed helps more than by just scoring. Carl Haglund being a good example. Zach Aston Reese and Dominic Simone returned to practice today and participated fully. So let's see who's in the lineup tonight. Jason Mackey of the Post-Gazette will join me at 3.30. Perhaps he can shed some light on who will be in uniform for Pittsburgh this evening at PPG Paints Arena. Philadelphia, Columbus, and Washington won last night. So the Penguins could use a win. The logjam in the Metro continues. Columbus has won 10 in a row, and that's obviously because they've got the Ian Cole fever. I mean, what other reason could there be? Columbus won 16 in a row last season. Now they've won 10 in a row this season. When they're not on a long win streak, they're not very good. Columbus beat Florida 4-zip last night. Just took a hot team into Panthers and whacked them. No uh, pun intended, Ike. Florida is still one point behind New Jersey for that last wild card, so New Jersey really needs to win tonight. But if it's the Penguins and Columbus in the first round, as could easily happen, what's to worry? The Penguins eliminated the Jackets of Blue, yes, in 14 and again last year. 
Bobrovsky, the goalie, he's good, but he blew up both times, and he'd blow up again. The Penguins are the best team in the league at center, and the Jackets are terrible at center. Columbus does have a good D, though, because they got Ian Cole fever. Uh, more because they got Lorensky and Jones in the back, and Panarin is very good up front. Anyway, Matt Murray in goal tonight against New Jersey. Hear all the action right here on 105.9 The X. Boy, the Pirates must not be selling many tickets already. At last glance, there were 8,000 tickets still left for the home opener on April 2nd. And for the second game, which is April 4, two days later, they just announced today it would be buck night. Tickets for a buck. Hot dogs for a buck. Popcorn for a buck. The Pirates Dignity on sale already for $1. That's for the second home game. Yikes. I am very curious to see how this pirate season plays out. Jesse James of the Steelers talked about his non-catch against New England, which would be a catch the way the catch rule has been redefined for next year, but that don't help what happened last year. Says Jesse, and I quote, it's going to bother me forever. It's just one of those plays, defining moments in the career and season for sure. That drop did define the Steelers' season and may well define James's career. Like Bill Burr, America's number one comedian, said on this show yesterday, even when the Steelers beat the Patriots, the Steelers didn't beat the Patriots. Here's a weird situation in San Antonio, in the NBA. Uh, bear with me, it's nothing to do with basketball, really. Kawhi Leonard is recovering from a quad injury. And the team doctors have cleared Kawhi to play. But Kawhi's doctors have not. Management thinks Leonard should play. The players are divided. They had a feisty closed-door players-only meeting, and I guess tempers flared. Some players said, hey, Kawhi, we need you to play. And he said, nope. Part of me says if you're cleared to play, you should play. And if you're cleared to play and you don't play, you shouldn't get paid. But, like I always say, team comes before doctor when you say team doctor. Kawhi Leonard is making 19 mil this year, and he's only played nine games. The Penguins had a situation like this back when, when Sidney Crosby was cleared to play, and he took a bit longer, which I fully supported. But that was a head injury. This is a quad injury. Tony Parker of the Spurs had the same injury, and it was worse, and he came back quicker than Kawhi, which isn't helping Leonard's cause at all. I'm anticipating a terrific show today. I am Mr. Money in the Bank. I am number one among male listeners, 25 through 54. Everywhere the radio goes here in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area, I don't know what to say about the pit coaching situation. Well, except for Mike Hopkins, delete. The Washington coach says he doesn't want the job either. Uh, he's the former Syracuse assistant, long time under Bayheim. If you want to ignore what went on at Syracuse, those shenanigans, those NBA sanctions, then why not hire Sean Miller? He's a better coach. Uh, apparently, Mark Schmidt of St. Bonaventure's is now a leading candidate.
the former head coach at Robert Morris University. I'm not excited about that prospect at all. I would think Pitt basketball fans would even be less excited than me by that prospect. Mark Schmidt's resume is worse than Kevin Stallings' resume. I'll give you the gory details a little bit later this hour. I want to get back to Ike Taylor for a second because, frankly, how often do you get a chance to tee off on somebody like we can all tee off on Ike Taylor now? And when I say tee off, that's not a sexual euphemism. If we all teed off on Ike Taylor, he might have felt no need to make that video. Ike seems like an okay guy. Couldn't catch a football to save his life, but that's why he played defensive back and not wide receiver. Incredibly stupid, and as always said, some stupid things. But what possessed Shoeless Ike to send a video of himself, pleasuring himself, to a woman he worked with? The video, period, sending that to anybody is a bad idea. But the phrase that pays is, woman he worked with. You know how they say don't crap where you eat? Well, don't do what Ike did either. Has any guy out there ever done that, what Ike did? I can't think of a single situation where that's a good idea. Well, Brett Favre did it. And the poor woman he did it to, Jen Sturger, she had her career ruined in sports media. If she would have just banged Favre, you know, like run over like a good girl to his hotel room as soon as she saw a picture of his peenie, if she would have just banged him, her career likely would have skyrocketed. Instead, she said, are you kidding me? And later it became a thing, but her career got ruined, and it should not have. That's just terrible the way that worked out. And again, nothing bad happened to Favre. Jen Sturger got the bad end of it. No pun intended. Okay, maybe pun intended. What's Ike going to do now? Seriously. I mean, like, Ike's job skills, they're, they're, what's the word? They're lacking. 412-333-9939. We got Jason Mackey, Mackay at 330. We got the King of Old School, John Steigerwald at 415. We got the Hockey Night Show at 530. And then we got the Penguins and the Devils tonight, right here on the X. I'm Mark Madden, 1059. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Mark, huge fan, love the show. Because that's what you got to do. Hey, Mark, big fan and all that. I, 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 I think you're on to something. The X at 105.9. A group called the Dixie Dregs was in town last night. They're badass. They're part jazz, part hard rock, part southern rock. Just a really good fusion of a bunch of styles. Great instrumentalists. Steve Morse is their guitarist. He's also been the guitarist for Deep Purple uh, for the last decade or so, ever since Blackmore quit for good. And their drummer is Rod Morgenstein, also the drummer for Winger. Well, who jumps on stage last night with the Dixie Dregs but Reb Beach of this parish, also of White Snake, and Winger along with Rod Morgenstein. And he does Crossroads, Clapton Cream, Robert Johnson, and sings it too, and goes crazy jamming on it. And I didn't know he was going to be there. Because if I had, I'd have shown up just to see Reb do Crossroads. I guess that a Reb, like a close friend, he's on the show a lot. and I go to a lot of his concerts. But I have to find everything out about him secondhand. 
And you know why it is? It's not because he's keeping stuff from him. He just doesn't think him playing is a big deal. But I, I retweeted the video of him doing Crossroads last night with the Dixie Dregs. Him and Morse just wailing. It is a big deal. Check it out. I retweeted it earlier today. Okay, Pitt, basketball. And by the way, won't it be great when they finally do pick a new men's basketball coach? And then we never have to talk about Pitt basketball again until they go 0-18 in the ACC again, and we can make fun of them again. Uh, like I said uh, before the break, Mike Hopkins is the basketball coach at Washington. He was Pac-12 coach of the year in his first year there. And the Dreamers out there linked him to the Pitt job briefly, but Hopkins said he's not a candidate. Now, for those who want Hopkins to Pitt, which won't happen, Hopkins was Jim Beheim's assistant at Syracuse for 20 years. And Syracuse had that big scandal that was investigated by the NC2A, what, four or five years ago, and there were all kinds of sanctions. Hopkins was part of that. So, why would you pit creeps on Hopkins, who was part of a scandal that was concrete and investigated and disciplined? But you don't want Sean Miller when everything with him at Arizona is just hearsay. Paying the player 100 k the wiretap. Nobody's heard that. You might get Miller. You won't get Hopkins. Maybe Pitt only wants what can't have, but Pitt has to hire somebody. And Mark Schmidt is now a candidate. Say Bonaventure's coach. He used to coach Robert Morris. He'd be a worse hire than Kevin Stallings. Stallings was in the big time. Schmidt isn't, and uh, I'll go over his resume later, but Schmidt has interviewed with Pitt, but Schmidt told Pitt, well, hang on, the Xavier coach might go to Louisville, and the Xavier job might open up, and I'd rather have that job. Pitt basketball sucking hind, you know what, even with the jabroni coaches, Yikes. 412-333-9939. Bob Labriola wrote an article about the signings of Bostick and Burnett by the Steelers. It's very good. Check it out at Steelers.com. And the message basically is, Bostick and Burnett are both upgrades over what the Steelers had. Both good tacklers and both solid against the run. Lab says the teams now won't be able to line up and just pound the ball on the ground against the Steelers. And I kind of rolled my eyes when I read that because nobody does that. Nobody pounds the ball. It's a passing league now. Except Jacksonville kind of did pound the ball on the ground against the Steelers this year, not once but twice, and the Jaguars beat the Steelers both times. So I get it. Somebody published a story that Steelers are meeting with Ohio State linebacker Chris Worley. Uh, Tomlin and Kevin Colbert were at Ohio State's Pro Day, and they're going to meet individually with Worley. But he's no Ryan Shazier, and he's no first-round pick. In fact, he's likely to be an undrafted free agent. But you know why that story got leaked, right? Shazier, Ohio State, Worley, Ohio State. Hey, there's a guy out there just like Shazier. But, but he's not. He couldn't carry Shazier's jockstrap in a goaltender's equipment bag. Here's an interesting football note. Rich McKay 
who is chairman of the NFL's competition committee, says there were 303 pass interference penalties in 2017. I could have sworn I saw more than that called on one NFL Sunday. But 303 pass interference penalties in the NFL in 2017, the average of the previous three seasons was 243. Why were so many more pass interference penalties called in 2017? I'm asking because I don't know the answer. Uh, By the way, 11 of those penalties were for 40 yards or longer, and that's absurd. The only way there should be a 40-yard penalty is if somebody pulls a gun. In fact, I believe Ike Taylor did just that, but, but unfortunately, he was no longer a defensive back. That's no shotgun. That's my love gun. Love gun. Up next, Jason Mackey, Talking Penguins, 105.9 X. This is Patrick Hornquist of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're listening to Mark Madden and the best hockey talk on 105.9 The X. Joining me now to talk hockey from the Post-Gazette, he is Penguins beat man, Jason Mackey. Uh, Mackay, Simone and Zach Aston Reese practice today. What changes do you expect in the Penguins lineup tonight? Well, Mark, I think tonight Dominic Simone will be in. He's going to be on the right wing on the fourth line. Um, I don't know if I see that as a long-term thing, but I think it's the easiest way to get him back in the lineup. When Aston Reese gets back in, I do think they're going to give him an opportunity to play with Sid. I think Mike Sullivan likes his game a lot. I don't know if it'll work. I don't know if Aston Reese is going to be up to it, but I do think they would like to get something more than they've been getting um, physically with Crosby's line. And, you know, it's nothing against Brian Russ, but Aston Reese adds a different element. I, I do think both of those guys are going to be opportunity, given opportunities to get meaningful minutes here. Who should play with Sid? And how the heck is that still a debate here in March? <laughs> I don't know if I could answer the second part of that, Mark, but um, I do like Jake Gensel on that line. I, I think Sid likes it as well. I, I do too, but let me just interject. I no think for that line to work, Jake has to be the third best player on the line. Well, you know, I don't disagree with you, but who else are you going to put there that's going to make Jake the third best player? I don't know, maybe Hornquist? Maybe yeah. Zach Aston Reese saws it off if he can play up to the potential we saw before he got hurt? I wouldn't be against the Hornquist thing. Um, I do think Sid and Hornquist are pretty good together. I know that it might be met with some resistance from Sid, but um, it might be the best thing for the team the way it's currently constructed to do that. Um, and, and, you know, maybe you play with it a little bit. I do think it's crazy that we're here, what, eight or nine games or whatever until the end, and we're still messing with this stuff. And I feel like if you mess with that line and bring Hornquist up, then who goes with Malkin? Do you put Castle there? There are still unanswered questions. Uh, I think the easiest or the path of least resistance here is if Rust clicks with him tonight. Maybe you try Sherry in that role. They take that spot. But uh, those things are no guarantee, obviously. Well, like, like you alluded to, if you put Hornquist on Sid's line, maybe you risk slowing Don Gino, who has played so well with Hornquist. And for a while, Gensel and Sherry seem logical line mates, but I think as a, as a unit... Gensel and Sherry with Sid, it's too weak defensively, and Sid had to do too much work down low. Yeah, and that's, you know, I've been asked, you've probably been asked the same questions, like why is Sid not going to the front of the net more? And I don't think it has anything to do with Sid's comfortability going to the front of the net. He's just having to do too much other stuff. And you put somebody like Hornquist with him, I think it helps a little bit. I don't think it helps as much as you would like, but yeah, I, I do agree with you that Hornquist would be an interesting add, and I guess I want to throw onto that as well. Russ was really good with Malkin, too. I don't, I don't know if that's a downgrade, putting Russ with Malkin. 
Um, he maybe was better with Malkin than he was with Crosby. I don't like putting Phil and Gino together, and I don't think Sully wants to do it either. Well, I think Sully's really married to the thought of having Crosby, Malkin, and, and Kessel on separate lines. But to play devil's advocate, what if you did put uh, Kessel either with Sid or Gino and put Broussard on a more traditional third line where he was the primary weapon? Would that inspire him or, or just organically make him play better and produce more? Yeah, I, I think that could work, and I, I think that maybe is the best thing for Broussard. I just worry about what you're doing to Malkin by putting Phil there. Every single time those two guys go together, they get so pass-happy with each other. If you can sit them down and get them to each play their own game and make the play that's supposed to be made instead of instinctively or for whatever reason look for the other guy, fine. You know, I do think Broussard might thrive with a – you know, Sherry and Rust on his wings or something like that. You know, a few other guys where, like you said, for Sarge, the focal point, I just, I worry about the Phil and Gino thing together, and we haven't seen a ton of chemistry from Crosby or Kessel together, right? Well, we've barely seen them play together five-on-five, five, but I'm assuming that there's a uh, thought-out reason for that. Uh, Sully can't be happy with certain players right now. Who do you think he's the most unhappy with and why? Oh, boy, that's a... That's an interesting one. Maybe Chris Letang, you know, and I, I think it's just because we're this late in the season, and I think there's still a fair amount of inconsistency there, and I think he's kind of in a downswing right now. Um, but I think also that Sully knows how good Letang can be, and what we've seen the past couple games from him. Like I, I just, I'm not used to a world where Chris Letang is losing, you know, one on one to Chris Kreider or Paul Byron or something like that. I just or where Chris Letang is the least bit tentative. And I just wonder how sort of mentally wrapped around the axle he is. Um, I think that's one. Uh, if I would go through the lineup, I mean, I know that Sullivan wants to see Sherry contributing, and I think he has at times, but I don't think he's realized anywhere near his full potential. We're talking to Jason Mackey. He's brought to you by Window Nation. Get two free windows with every two you buy, plus pay 0% for 18 months at windownation.com. Uh, let's stay with the D. You mentioned Latang. What is the state of the Penguins' defensive core right now? How's it fitting together? I think it's fitting together okay. I don't think it's great, but I also, you know, I think there's some people looking for a, for a bridge to jump off of here, and I wouldn't be at that point. Um, I, I do think they are paired together as best they can, given the personnel they have. Um, I know I've gotten some some people wanting to like break up Dumoulin and Latang, and I don't really see that as a solution. Um, I think Jamie Alexiak has played probably two of his lesser games that he's played as a Penguin, but it's something that is a cause for concern for me. I do like the Mata and Ruedel third pair as kind of more traditional, quiet, not a ton of flash there. Um, I think if Latang is his better self, and we started to see it for a stretch, I think that takes care of a lot of their problems. But to me, the Penguins go basically six deep on D. If they have to utilize Matt Hunwick, I... I think there's a bit of a drop-off there. If they have to go down to Wilkes and get somebody, it's basically a cliff, I think. So as far as the state of defense, I mean, it's okay now. I think it's going to be much, much different in the, in the playoffs. But, you know, just another sort of addendum on that, Mark, I, I do think they're starting to feel the loss of Ian Cole a little bit, especially on the penalty kill. Well, let, let's stay with that. How specifically did the Penguins miss Cole? I hate to beat that drum, but Columbus has taken off since Cole got there. And I agree with uh, what you said. I think they missed him on the penalty kill. The block shots, I think anybody can block a shot, but there's 
there's more of a skill set necessary for the PK. Yeah, and the PK, I think it's like 63% since the trade deadline, something like that. Just hasn't been good. To me, the area that it lacks is in front of the net. Um, and, you know, physically clearing bodies, also clearing loose pucks. Um, I, I've sort of gotten a kick out of watching some five-on-three action. There hasn't been a ton, obviously, but um, that role that Cole used to play in front of the net was so good. And to see kind of Ole Mata or Brian Dumoulin have been the two guys that have been been trying it, and it's just not natural for them. And I don't think either one, you know, even a traditional five-on-four situation, that it's sort of their forte to be in front of them. And Cole was so good in that area in front of the net, clearing up bodies and pucks. And, you know, I think the Penguins are capable of making up for that loss. I just don't think it's happened yet. I think maybe they undervalued it a little bit, just what he brought to that penalty kill. And also talking. I mean, and, and I don't mean talking to the media. I mean talking to other players and keeping that unit organized. I think Ian Cole was a big part of that, too. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that. But just, just backtracking a bit, since they traded Cole for Broussard, that makes me think there's no way they won't put Kessel, Gino, and Sid on separate lines because they made that trade specifically to facilitate that. They did, yeah. And, I mean, there was talk about can Derek Broussard play wing and yeah, he can, but that's not why you do it. That's not why they, you know, they give up a really, really good goaltending prospect. I still think Reeves could have been a useful add to this team. Ian Cole, obviously, I don't need to pump his tires. But, I mean, they did not give up just bit parts for Derek Broussard, and they want him to be the third-line center. They want him to click with Phil Kessel. I mean, there are certain reasons they made this trade. and You know, I think to a degree the sample size is still somewhat small, um, you'd probably like to see a little bit more progress in the Broussard and Kessel situation, but you know the way the Penguins are best constructed is one, two, three: Crosby, Malkin, Broussard down the middle. There's no question from Penguins management there. I think we're going to see it with Derek Broussard. It's just I, I do think there's just like little bits here and there with the Crosby and Broussard lines that need figured out, and you may have to rob Malkin of a guy to do it. Well, uh, I hasten to remind people that when they got Hosa in '08, Hosa was hurt right away, then he didn't do much till the playoffs, but then he exploded in the playoffs. Not to compare Broussard to Hosa, but uh, certainly Broussard is known for his postseason production. Uh, the Devils really need a win tonight, and they're 2-0 and this year against Pittsburgh. Why do the Penguins struggle against New Jersey? I think New Jersey is one of those teams, Mark, that actually makes the Penguins think quicker than they would like, or at least they have. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's something that's going to happen every single time, but I know the first two games, a lot of guys this morning were talking about having to make quicker decisions and uh, get out of their zone quicker. And I, I wondered, I don't know if they'd ever admit this, um, you know, whether these devils not being those devils, you know, whether they sort of took that lightly or didn't sort of expect the devils to be as fast as they were. And I think that's sort of what it was, just the speed, how much they turned the puck over, how much they were sort of able to create off the rush. And, you know, to be fair, too, I also don't think they were two of the better games the Penguins have played, at least not the first game, the one in Jersey, coming off that game the night before in Washington. And the Penguins have just kind of been that sloppy version of themselves that we've seen at times. I do think their heads are in the right place tonight as far as um, knowing what kind of game they need to play, knowing how quick they need to play to counter the Devils and Shoot, the Devils are finishing up on a six-game road trip. Um, that They've been all over the country. So if the Devils were a little flat tonight, I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, how concerned are the Penguins coaches and the GM about where they finish, home ice, all that stuff? And how concerned are the players? Um, I, I'll say this, not nearly as concerned as the fans. Uh, 
And when they're asked the question about, you know, is the division important or anything like that, like, what do you want them to say? Of course they're going to say it's important. You don't want to lose hockey games. But, um, you know, I look at potential matchups and that sort of thing, and I – like a 2-3 series against Columbus, I don't think is the worst thing that could happen to this team. You never want to punt on the division, but I do think they match up with Columbus better than somebody like Jersey. Um, home ice, I don't put a ton of stock in it. I mean, I know I did a, a story today about the differences on how they've played home and road, but that's a regular season. Yeah, I think it was Josh Yelly brought up a stat today that the Caps went 32-6-2. You know, and Three, whatever they were last year, and then of course the Penguins beat them three times in in DC. So I mean, you know that that stuff carries some weight. It doesn't carry all the weight. And to answer your question, Mark, I don't think anybody's too terribly concerned about it. I think they just want to be playing well. I don't think they're playing well as well as they would like consistently right now. And you know that they have some time to change it. But I, that's the biggest issue right now. Well, an NHL Scott told me on Wednesday night the Penguins just want the playoffs to start tomorrow. He thinks that's why they're struggling a bit, because they just want to get these games over with and start the real games. Uh, do you agree with that? I agree with that. Um, I have the same feeling. I can, I can only imagine that the players are ready to have an 82-game regular season behind them and just get this thing going. Uh, you know, it's, it's almost like a malaise. You know, you just, just want to get there. Um, I, I feel like so much changes in the playoffs, and it'll change for the, the better for the Penguins, too, but... Um, I do think they're going to make their coach a little bit nuts if they're not somewhat consistent here down the stretch. I think there are still some things that they need to fine-tune to feel better about themselves. And um, Also, let's talk about the Matt Murray situation and him coming back. I think he needs to get some games with the responsible defense and a responsible team in front of him. So it's important in that regard. But, yeah, I, the most important thing is to just know their opponent and let's go. Makai, great stuff. We'll see you at the rink in just a little bit. All right, Mark. Thanks for having me. That's Jason Mackey. Covers the Penguins for the Post-Gazette. I'm Mark Madden. We want the hockey talk to keep going, but uh, in just a few, I'm going to talk to you about Mark Schmidt of St. Bonaventure's, ex of Robert Morris. He is now a candidate to get the pit job. I'm going to read you his resume, and I don't think you're going to be impressed. 105.9 X. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, what's happening, Mark? Loud noises! <laughs> the X at 105.9. An unarmed kid got shot by cops in Sacramento. And there were a ton of protesters outside the NBA arena in Sacramento... And they locked arms and wouldn't let fans in for the game. And then the cops prohibited entry. So they played an NBA game in front of a couple hundred people that somehow managed to get in. That's a pretty effective protest. But I don't know how much good it'll do. The Pirates should hire people to organize protests outside PNC Park. That would provide an excuse for some of the low crowds. Nevada and Kentucky both lost last night in the Sweet 16. So a 9 seed and an 11 seed are in the Elite 8s. Not very elite. One's going to go to the Final Four. This might be the worst NCAA tournament ever. No kidding. 
People saw all those upsets the first weekend. Oh, this is great. Anything can happen. And then the second week, you got to watch crap teams play crap teams. No quarter. Brought to you by CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com. Going to get to that Mark Schmidt resume in just a second. He's the new, I don't know if you call him the leading candidate, but uh, he's a guy that might be willing to come to Pitt, which would make him the leading candidate if he doesn't go to Xavier after their coach goes to Louisville. This story's sad, but not surprising. Michael Bennett, remember the guy who got mistreated by the cops in Vegas? At least that's what he said, but he lied because videotape proved him to be suffering from diabetes. Uh, well, Bennett has been indicted for the felony charge of injury to the elderly for injuring a 16, uh, excuse me, a 66-year-old paraplegic who was working at NRG Stadium to control access to the field at the Super Bowl. Bennett was in time to watch his brother Martellus play for New England. This is in Houston. Excuse, uh, excuse me, Minnesota. And immediately after the game, he shoved his way onto the field where the players were gathering to celebrate. He was told he had to use a different entrance for field access. And he pushed through all these people, including the 66-year-old disabled victim and an elderly woman who was part of the security team. Now, I'll be very honest. I don't know what a guy in a wheelchair and an elderly woman are doing at a Super Bowl restricting access to the field. Doesn't seem like a logical job for them. But this Bennett, he's a creep. He is an absolute creep. Up next, what will Pitt do? And I'll read you Mark Schmidt's resume. Also, on the Mark Madden page at WXDX.com, I posted the latest trailer for the TV series Cobra Kai. It's three minutes. There's some unbelievable stuff in it. It's Johnny and Daniel and the old Karate Kid gang get back together. And I can't figure out yet if it's satire or if it's serious, but unintentionally turns in to satire. It premieres May 2nd on YouTube Red, whatever that is. But check out the Cobra Kai trailer at the X website. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9.